when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. One of the scholars I studied this week referred to this section of teaching in Matthew that runs from chapter 5 through 7 as the inaugural address of Jesus. He said Jesus is setting the tone at this point in the gospel for all else that's going to come, all other teaching, all other actions that he's laying out what life in this community of disciples is going to look like. Now, scholars see many parallels reminiscent of Moses going up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments to shape that community he was leading in the way Matthew has this setting of Jesus going up the mountain, having disciples come and sit and listen for his teaching. Some of those scholars say Jesus is laying out new rules for the way life is to be approached in this new community of followers. He starts with these teaching about blessings. It's clear that he was serious about them. As I read through them, I see that there's great meaning, but sometimes, frankly, when I first read through them, I don't understand what he's saying. It sometimes seems a little paradoxical the way he's portraying these. Listen, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what he means by that? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I'm not always sure what he's saying when I read those, but the biblical scholars can help us. Frederick Beekner is a well-known Christian theologian. He's written lots of books. I ran across a comment he made about the Beatitudes or these blessing statements all the way back in college. He suggested that if you have even a passing acquaintance with another language, that it might help you understand or gain insight into these teachings if you would read the Scripture in that other language. He said, for example, that he spoke some French. And so he's read these in French. He says that when he reads through these and gets to verse 5, blessed are the meek, if he reads it in French, it comes out, happy are the debonair. It's a very different connotation, happy are the debonair. Well, I first read that in college, and I thought, you know, I'd rather be a part of the debonair group than the meek band. Now, I was sort of thinking about dating and trying to get a date, and I thought, how much better to be a Christian debonair than part of the meek group? 
Now, maybe I had my head in the wrong place, and that's really not what Jesus is talking about at all. I may have been missing the uh, main point at that point in my life, but you get the idea that when we read in a different language, sometimes the insight we gain on the Scripture can be enhanced. But even if you don't read in another language, there's a possibility, because there's so many different English translations, that you could read a number of those if you were struggling with a passage and you would be helped. I've brought a couple of extra Bibles today just to illustrate. Normally, we're reading from the New Revised Standard Version, but this Good News Bible, sometimes called the Today's English version updates the language a little bit. So verse 5 reads like this. Happy are those who are humble. They will receive what God has promised. That sounds a little bit different than the way we first read it. Or there's this message version I've brought. Eugene Peterson is one of our great Christian writers, longtime seminary professor, spent 10 years translating the entire scripture, trying to update the language and bring greater meaning. Listen to how he translates verse 5. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. A different take on verse 5 than blessed are the meek, at least as I listen to it. Or listen to how he translates verse 3. Put this one in your outline. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Now that helps me. I hear that differently when I read that kind of translation. I think it gives us a different sense of what Jesus might be talking about and what he's setting up in terms of the community that he's developing around these blessings. Another thing that might be helpful for you if you're struggling with a biblical passage in your daily Bible reading is to get a good Bible commentary. Lots of people dedicate their whole lives to studying the Scriptures and then writing for us about the background, the context, the meaning, the meaning of different words, the phraseology, any number of things that they might help you with. There's lots of Bibles these days with commentary right along with the text. In this Wesley Study Bible I read out of on Sunday morning, there's all kinds of commentary across the bottom. Much of it, though, based on John Wesley's writings as the founder of Methodism, the commentators and just put in there, what, what did Wesley say about this? Did he have a sermon about this? Did he note something in his New Testament notes about this passage? They put it right there for you. It's really helpful for me as a United Methodist pastor to continually be put in touch with what Wesley, our founder, was thinking and saying to those early day Methodists as he was rallying them together. So the Bible commentary can help you. It can give you the context and the background for a passage, really for any passage that you might read most of us come at Matthew 5 thinking, well, this is original material. And even though Jesus presents it in a unique way, it's really not original. If you read a commentary or look at a footnote in a study Bible, it will refer you to other places where Jesus had studied the Hebrew Scriptures and he's drawing from those his teaching. So, for example, it might tell you to go to Isaiah 61 or Psalm 1. Or Psalm 37. 
all of those are background for this material we heard read today that Matthew's recorded as this teaching block of Jesus organizing and telling his disciples the way life should look in this new community. You might find an article in one of those commentaries that talks about blessing. We use that sort of in a casual way, bless you or blessings upon you, something like that. But if you look at it in a biblical time, blessing is a much more serious word. It's tied to the word covenant. Blessing and covenant both have to do with how we live in relationship with each other and how seriously we take our commitment to another person. There's a whole unit in our confirmation materials about covenant. I've taught it many times. It's talking about covenant and our relationship with God. And it says that covenant means called to commitment. Called to commitment. That when we make a covenant with someone, when we enter into a relationship with someone, whether it's a marital relationship or some kind of partnership or a covenant with God, that we make certain pledges about the way we're going to act. And as Christians, we're to keep those promises. We're to keep the covenant. To kind of drive that home to the confirmands, I remind them that back in the times of the Hebrew Scriptures, when they wrote even more about covenant, that sometimes they would slaughter an animal, cut it in two, separate the two parts, and walk through it as if to say, if I violate this covenant, this is what should happen to me. If I break my word, this is what should happen to me. If you look up the word blessing or blessed in your dictionary, you'll find that the root words mean to mark with blood. They took this idea of commitment and covenant so very seriously. They did not enter into these relationships without being clear how important it was to be faithful and loyal in our commitments. So when Jesus starts talking about these blessings, a word related to this idea of covenant, I think we can be sure that he is very serious about this. And his intent is for us to see the most important things in our lives are not based on circumstances, but on our relationship with God. And that has implications for the way we live our lives. It has implications for the way that we relate to one another. For we're to be the people that are in a covenant who understand that we depend on God. So when we hear something like, blessed are those who mourn, it's not just a personal statement that I've lost something or I'm mourning something personally, but it's saying that those people who are in a community in a covenant with God and one another that they mourn all loss within the community. They mourn any injustice that's happening in the creation. It's a much bigger picture than just me and God when you begin to understand the context of these blessings, not just for us as individuals, but for us as a whole community, as people who are in a covenant with God and with one another. We are the ones who can be peacemakers not because we think we have the power to enforce peace but because we rely on God and believe that God is at work and that we can trust God is working for the good and if we're cooperating with that then God can make us a peacemaker 
in that kind of context, we can realize the blessing and the joy come from a right relationship with God. I think we see it most clearly in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or right relationship, for they will be filled. Another version had it this way, that those who want nothing else but to do what God requires, they shall be fully satisfied. God is the one who will meet their needs. And if we seek this relationship and have that covenant in order, we can count on God to make all other things right. Jesus begins this section of teaching. It says to his disciples who have come to follow, and I think he's painting this idea, this new vision that he refers to as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and what life is going to be like in that community. Foremost among those, we have to understand what it's going to look like, and Jesus says it is a God-centered perspective or lifestyle. That that's what life in Christian community is to be all about. I ran across some modern day beatitudes, if you will, some time ago. I think you might find them a little bit humorous, and yet there's some great insight that parallels those we've already read. See what you think. When everything's coming your way, you're probably in the wrong lane. Always keep your words soft and sweet just in case you have to eat them later. <laughs> Nobody cares if you can't dance. Just get up and dance. It may be that your sole purpose in life is simply to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> if you lend someone $20 and never see them again, it was probably worth it. <laughs> if you can't be kind... At least have the decency to be vague, or better yet, silent. You may be only one person in the world, but you may also be the world to one person. And then this is the final one, except that some days you're the P 